Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the line. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome back to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. I am Sergeant First Class Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command. And joining me in studio today on Camp Henry is Lieutenant Colonel Dan Cole of, let me say this, I have to take a breath, U.S. Army Materiel Support Command Korea. Correct. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us, sir. So we're going to touch on a few things, your life as an OC and what you're doing over there at MSCK. Uh, we're going to start, though, with like we do with a lot of our guests. What What is your Army origin story, sir? What What brought you to the Army? Well, uh, so turns out college was really expensive, and I had to figure out a way to continue to pay for my you know, private college education. Uh, and the only ROTC program available was the Army ROTC program. Uh, so I went to Fort Knox, competed for a scholarship because I didn't start college uh, under one of those scholarships. And I was offered one. Uh, it was a two-year scholarship, uh, but me being me, required an additional year to get through college, uh, super senior status. Uh, but it, w- it was a great opportunity. Uh, at the time, I didn't plan on staying as long as I have, but turns out I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, so here I am almost 18 years later now. It's been a great, great career. And so what, what university was that, sir? So that was a Northwest Nazarene University. I have a, a Bachelor's of Arts in Music Education, which I don't use a whole lot, uh, but my master's degree from University of Kansas in Supply Chain Management comes in pretty handy here. So Northwest Nazarene in Nampa, Idaho, right? Nampa, Idaho. I, I used right. to live, in, I actually enlisted um, at, at the Boise Recruiting Station. And yeah. I, I used to, uh, yeah, I lived not too far from NNU. That's, okay. that's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah, and commissioned through uh, Boise State University, home of the Smurf turf. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, we, we have these, uh, every once in a while, we have these odd little co- small small army coincidences on this podcast. So, um, and now, um, this is your first time in Korea, sir? Second time in Korea. So I first came to Korea as a newly promoted captain. I was the S3 for 501st Sustainment Brigade STB, which has now, you know, been rolled up into 2ID Sustainment Brigade, uh, and they are no longer at Camp Carroll. But I was there for a year, and then I moved up and did a company command for 520th Maintenance Company at Camp Humphreys, and 520th is now no longer 520th. They're, uh, I think, Bravo Company 194th. DSSB. Yeah, the uh, I've heard a lot about you know everything in Korea. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But some things do change quite a yeah. bit. And at Camp Carroll, they definitely have. Yeah, and uh, it, Camp Humphreys is very different than when I was there. My company headquarters is completely gone. The battalion headquarters is gone. I think it's uh, the Katusa snack bar is still there. Uh, mm. That that was great when I was visiting, uh, but it. Camp Humphreys looks very different. Yes, it does. Yeah, even my, my first time in Korea was twenty summer of twenty sixteen and at, at Humphreys. And even compared to then, it's just almost unrecognizable. Oh yeah, 
Okay. And so uh, kind of one of the noteworthy things you've done in your career that we're going to spend some time on is your time as an OC at National Training Center. And so that's um, Korea and Fort Irwin maybe carry some some biases from soldiers. Maybe they're not super excited about going there. What was your um, impression of NTC before being assigned there? So I had been there for three rotations as the RTU. And, you know, when everybody goes to the National Training Center, for the most part, it's there as the training unit. Uh, and it's easy to see why everybody's impression would be this place is terrible. It's nothing but dirt. Uh, but being stationed there as an OC, you know, well, the last time I was there was as a major and a good friend who I'd worked with in the past was my OC counterpart. And so he kind of gave me a little peek behind the curtain. And I realized it's it's a lot better on the OCT side than it is as RTU, obviously. Uh, and so he really sold it to me as this is a place that you want to come. Uh, there's And the thing that stuck out, and we'll talk about it more later on, I'm sure, is that the sales pitch was there's no place you can go and be more relevant to the army as a post KD person, whether it's as a post KD captain or post KD major, there's nowhere else you can be to be more relevant to the army. And that really stuck out to me. Uh, you know, I, I love training and that was the place. Cause you just eat, breathe, sleep. Everything is about training major combat maneuver forces. And so what was your focus as an OCT? So I was there for two years as a gold miner, which is the sustainment trainer team. They're focused in on the BSBs and we've got the, in the Wagoneers is a kind of a subset of the gold miner team focused on the CSSBs. Uh, and so that was my focus for those two years. And then the third year I was as a Bronco, which is the brigade headquarters trainer. So they brigade train the brigade staff. So I, the first two years I was the S3 trainer and the XO trainer for the BSB. And then the last year was as the brigade S4 trainer. Um, and that relationship between the BSB and the brigade S4 is modeled at the OCT level. So I stayed, even though I was not on gold miner team, I was parking on the gold miner line, talking to that team multiple times every single day on the radio or face to face. Uh, and so as an OC, we were modeling what the RTU should be doing. Um, but everything was focused on sustainment for me. And so what can you tell us about like a typical rotation then for you, what, what your life was like and what kind of day-to-day -day things you were doing? Yeah. So it evolved, uh, from the first time I got there until I, I left and the rotations now are, you know, far more difficult than they were initially. It used to be most people's experience was you go, uh, first thing as an RTU, you're going into the Ruba, uh, and you're staying in these foam tents that are out there. And then you build up combat power, unpack your containers, get everything in the combat configuration. And then you drive out to the desert for the two weeks of training. But now we've transitioned to the expeditionary RSO and I, where as equipment's coming off the rail, it's going straight out to the desert. You may touch uh, FOB Santa Fe briefly just to get kind of onboarded. You know, that's like your, your PAT team that's getting you in, into the country of Atropia. Uh, but you're going straight out to the assembly areas and you're building combat out there. You're doing miles installation out there. You're unpacking the containers out in the desert. Uh, and, and then after a week or a week and a half, depending on if you're ADVON, then you go start the training scenario. Uh, so it's 
took a 14 day training scenario and it turned it into essentially a 21 training exercise. But as an OC, you're also matched up with your unit very early uh, from the very beginning. And even before that, you get linked up with your counterparts during the LTP, the leadership training program. Uh, And that's an ability to kind of influence training plans before you ever go to your final training event at home station before coming to the CTC, uh, like the National Training Center. Um, So that being said, you know, a normal day, uh, depending on you know, if I'm staying out in the box every night or, or not, and, and generally we don't stay, this may be a, a mind blowing secret to those that are RTU. OCs do not spend every night in the training area. Uh, we do sneak in and out got rotations, uh, because, you know, being in, in that training scenario for 10 rotations a year, uh, for 21 days a month, it's, it's tough uh, to maintain that work-life uh, balance. And there's lots of strategies. We'll talk about that. But, you know, in every morning, I'd make sure my cooler has ice, my water, uh, five-gallon water jugs got ice, and then I drive my Humvee by myself. You know, all mm-hmm. the OCs are, you act like grown-ups, you PMCS yourself, you, dry, you fill up the fuel at the fuel point yourself. It doesn't matter if you're Lieutenant Colonel or you're an E6. Everybody is doing that themselves. Um, driving out to the desert, linking up there with the units. Uh, every day it's coaching. We, we try to stay as much contact as we can without being disruptive. Uh, you know, the, the, what we're trying to do is be a mirror and help the unit see themselves uh, and not get in the way. You know, everybody's got that experience where OCT, you know, knocking on the hatch of your vehicle, you open it up and there they are and give you all the bad news. And that's really not what it is. Uh, you know, OC used to stand for observer controller. Now it's observer coach trainer. Uh, this is a far, we really stress that it's a learning environment now and not just an, I got you, show you everything that you did bad. A lot of focus on AARs and, and the importance of that. Um, but, you know, we bring our own food out. Uh, I went three years in the National Training Center and I never opened an MRE. No. <laughs> I, ate, I ate really well out there. Um, and if somebody's going to go be an OC, I, I always coach them like, hey, avoid the gas station food. You have mm-hmm. to eat the good food so you can maintain your, your good physical fitness. Uh, watching somebody tear open a bag of chips or corn nuts every day, that's, that's depressing just for me to watch somebody do that. <laughs> so yeah, OCs are always offering food, sharing time, burning, uh, you know, cooking out in the desert. Um, and that's a, a good way to build camaraderie. So did you have a go-to dish? out there for your Ooh, you know i i didn't uh, you know we tried to have like taco tuesday night where as a group we would cook tacos i'd take a dutch oven out there and we'd, we'd cook frozen pizzas out in the desert hmm. um things like that and you always try to make sure that you're an appropriate distance and you know downwind from the unit so you're not out there you know cooking up some carnitas and the way that smell is hitting the rtu and they're kind of at their crucible leader experience really kind of sucking at life you don't want to do that to them so um you're describing the changes at, at with the rotation so my, my only time there was um back in the old model where you you spent some time before you went in the box and what mm-hmm. you were saying so everything happens in the box now yep. and so what what do you think is the positive uh, result of that what, what's come of that change well so when you were there in the ruba 
uh, you probably had access to AFES and Burger King and all the food trucks. Uh, and all of those are distractions that are not going to be available during a large scale combat operations in an immature theater. So really by doing this, we're able to get our communication systems up and running a lot faster. We don't have the distractions. So soldiers are more focused. And what we found is that units are entering the box at a much higher level of readiness. They are switched on from the beginning. Uh, they got their game faces on and, and everybody's entering at just a much higher level, which means over the course of the rotation, you're also getting more out of the training. Uh, so overall, we've seen units coming out at a, at a higher in terms of readiness rate uh, for training readiness and equipment readiness in a lot of cases than they would otherwise. So that's what I was going to ask too, is did you see, like, was there some common factors with units leaving where they generally please with like, were there any like aha moments of what, what they learned with you generally? You know, it, it varies from each unit. Uh, that's the great thing about the National Training Center and the other CTCs as well. You know, we, sometimes we talk about the, the Junior Readiness Training Center out in our small box friends uh, in Louisiana and in Europe. Um, but, you know, they're all seeing the same things and we can meet a unit wherever they're at. So wherever they're at in their training glide path, if we have to scale down the training from, you know, you know, simultaneous battalions uh, hitting objectives down to, hey, we just need to run some squad sticks lanes or some platoon sticks. You know, we can do that all the way up to, you know, we've done a division level training rotation out there with uh, division fires and division cav all maneuvering. Um, and they just finished a rotation with, they had a, a division SAC P out in the box or not necessarily in the box, but, you know, kind of leveraging the training and, and maintaining that division touch point with the brigade. Uh, so the fact that it's a scalable rotation, a training experience really kind of presents each unit with their own different aha moment. Hmm. And uh, so one of the things that you uh, created while you were there was a podcast at the NTC. What, what can you tell us about how that came about? Yeah, so I'm an avid podcast listener. I've always been a believer, you know, the self-development is absolutely critical to leader development. And, you know, we always talk about the... Uh, everybody's reading program. What are you reading military-wise? But, you know, it's, it's almost 2022. Uh, professional listening is also a, a very important component. Uh, and so I knew that all of the information and all the TTPs that we were collecting and best practices and all the leaders' reflections as they're coming out of a rotation, if we don't capture that and share that with the rest of the force, then as an OCT, I feel like I'm not doing my part to share the experience with the entire force. Uh, and so I, I pitched the idea and it grabbed the attention of some of the senior leaders and they gave me the green light. So we started the, the Ask a Gold Miner podcast as a way to do some exit interviews is really how it started, uh, kind of collect some of the, the lessons learned from an OCT perspective, whether, you know, it's an S2 or an S6, all the things, support and sustainment, uh, be able to feature those lessons learned to share out with the rest of the force. And it really, it, it got a lot of attention. Uh, it's grew legs. Uh, the, the podcast has now changed hands since I left twice and it's continued, except now they've renamed it. It is the Dirt Logistician uh, and they're doing a great job out there. Uh, and they're available wherever podcasts are, are found. I was just glad to be you know, that somebody 
believed in the idea and it grew legs. And obviously here at 19th ESC, you guys see the value here. I was glad to, to come here and join this. You know, uh, as I found out that I was coming to 19th ESC, you know, like any other soldier, want to do some research. Hey, I want to learn about my unit. And then a great way to learn about them is by listening to those leaders and talking about some of the experiences and what Korea has to offer. Uh, it's a it's a great thing that you guys are doing here. Yeah, that's exactly our aim with it. You know, like this, the educational component of it, because our, our episodes are going to be out there, you know, indefinitely for the foreseeable future. And so it's kind of a, uh, an artifact of the unit, you know, kind of the um, living knowledge center, you know, or something where people can really, and especially with uh, very relevant to NTC, like you said, where people can build their knowledge base of, you know, what goes on there and what, if they're going to NTC. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you still have a podcast, sir? You have your own personal one? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, kind of in a, uh, a lapse in production. I've been pretty focused on uh, my work with uh, Material Sport Command Korea. So I haven't, been producing the four by four podcast much. Uh, but I started that, you know, 10 years ago as a way to stay engaged in the off-roading community. Uh, it's been, it's grown legs and, uh, taking me places that I never expected, but it, it was a great way for me to stay plugged in with a hobby and activity that I really enjoy. Interesting. So early adopter of the, the format. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 10 years ago in podcast time is forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you mentioned MSCK, sir. So uh, what can you tell us about, you're obviously staying busy over there. Um, when someone hears about MSCK, it's kind of maybe hard to visualize what it is, a brigade-sized element over there at Camp Carroll. How do you usually sum it up to people? When you well, talk? so a lot of people who've been around the Army for a while may hear MSCK, and all they think of is industrial base, um, because that's really what it used to be until we went through this modularity, like I described, where the 501st Sustainment Brigade became 2ID Sustainment Brigade and left a smoke trail as they left Camp Carroll moving up to Humphreys. You know, there's some orphan units that fell out of that. Uh, so those tactical units, the 6th Ordnance, 25th Trans, uh, and, and 498, they've been bolted onto the side of the Material Support Command Korea. Uh, but at its heart, we still really are the industrial base. We've got the Combat Power Generation Center with the Heavy Equipment Division and, you know, doing tons and tons of maintenance. Um, I, I sometimes joke that that's our petting zoo. Everybody, when they come through, they know there's a lot of maintenance that's being done in support of APS-4 and uh, all the other tenant units here. But when they see a, you know, there's an 88 right now sitting on its road wheels with the entire drivetrain pulled out of it, the, the spades taken off, everything is getting rebuilt uh, at just a below depot level uh, when they see that kind of capability set uh, that that really starts their gears turning what we're doing for all of the paycom is phenomenal uh, so I, I just finished giving a sales pitch to a unit here that's for a pdss uh, and i think it opened up their aperture on what MSCK offers. Uh, so I, I challenge anybody, if you're coming here to Korea, whether it's to be with 19th ESC or any of the other USFK units, come on over to Camp Carroll, uh, visit MSCK and take the tour of the, uh, the Combat Power Generation Center because it's, it's a phenomenal tour and it's going to open up your eyes on what is really available in terms of maintenance and it'll smooth out the process as units transition in and out of Penn. 
Yes, sir. Absolutely. The the tour there, I've, I've done it several times myself, uh, accompanying DVs, getting pictures of it. And I think everyone walks out of there with wide eyed, you know, from it's just the capabilities over there is just limitless, it seems like. Yeah, it's funny. So we end the tour. Uh, generally, you walk past the paint booth and you're seeing a vehicle that is freshly repainted. And this isn't just like your cheap rattle can. This is a full on cart repaint job. Looks brand new. Uh, and then there's the, the dynamometer where they put a truck on there and they'll run it up to highway speeds and make sure, you know, a road test generally is like 25, 30 miles an hour. The, the dyno, you're running it up to highway speeds. And when you see a, a PLS run into highway speeds right there chained down, it looks like a, an angry bull that's <laughs> strapped in. It's really impressive. But that's the kind of quality assurance that we're putting into every single piece of equipment that comes through the Combat Power Generation Center. And one of the keys to MSCK's success is the uh, Korean employees that work there with, with KSC and all that. What's been your experience working with them? Man, those guys are unbelievable in terms of skill and dedication. Uh, so I, th I think if you grabbed the, like the median time that somebody has worked for the combat power generation center, it's something like 30 years. Like they're going to their technical school as a young, young person, and then they'll start and they work this one job the entire time until they retire. Uh, and so the amount of skills that somebody builds up over time is unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, we've got one poster that's everybody sees along the tour that shows a, a couple soldiers doing their mission. And they keep, we were going to get rid of that poster, uh, but it stays there because the Korean nationals, they use it to show, hey, this is these soldiers right here doing this mission. This is why we're doing this job. Uh, and they use that to indoctrinate and bring in their new team members. And that, that just shows the, the strength of our partnership, not just with the, the you know, Rock Army, but with the Korean government and everybody who lives here. We're such a, an integral part of the community, all the volunteering that they do and all the organizations they're partnered with, you know, going down. I've learned about restaurants that I never would have known existed hmm. uh, just by, you know, maintaining those relationships and those partners with everybody that works there. And so uh, you, you talked about listening to the podcast before you got to MSCK, sir. So here's your chance to, so if someone is listening to this, maybe they're going to come to work at Carroll or they're, you know, they're in quarantine right now. What would you tell them about life on Camp Carroll? So life on Camp Carroll is, is really good. Um, I will say I live in, in Daegu and I make the commute out there every day, but I can tell you my money goes a lot farther out at Camp Carroll your your produce fruits vegetables it's coming right off the farm to your hands the restaurants you know everybody wants that good country cooking in the united states it's the same thing out at camp carroll you're getting the mom and pop shops that it's all high quality food uh there's there's not a lot to do out there in terms of entertainment i'll give you that uh, but there's the river the same river that runs passed uh, through the heart of Daegu. It runs up there. Um, I'm told you can even get on a bike path and ride from Daegu yeah. out to Carroll or back. I haven't tried that one yet. That's like a, I don't know, like a 36-mile ride. Mm -hmm. I'm working up to that one still. <laughs> um, but it's a great place to, to work. Uh, the apartments, you'll get more for your money out in the Daegu or out in the, the Wagon area around Camp Carroll. So just things to consider. Um, you know, there's no schools 
for the kids. So if you've got a family and you're looking at living in Wagon, uh, there's, I think, an exceptional policy that has to be done for you to, to do that. And they're, your kids are going to get bussed down here to the Daegu area for, for school. Um, but it, it's a, a great place. I, I was looking forward to it. Whenever I left Korea, my wife even said, if we ever get a chance to go back to Korea, uh, we'll gladly take it. Mm. And so here the opportunity was presented about a decade after we left Korea, and uh, that moved right up to the number one spot, the, the chance to work with uh, General Allen and the whole team here at 19th ESC. Had to take that one. Yeah, one of, one of my big takeaways from Camp Carroll, too, my first time, I think it was my first time visiting there, and we, um, the former PAO and I were meeting with Colonel May and he at Six Ordnance, and he turned around and looked, showed us his window. Like, out his window, he can see Hill 303, the Hill 303 Memorial, yeah. and just the idea of working in a place with that historical significance, not only to the Army, but to Korea and, and the, you know, the Korean War. You know, yep. it's just, you really can't, there's really no other army base you can say that about where like history was made right you know in your backyard there yeah absolutely like right outside my office we have one of the a-frame packs that the korean service corps used to carry ammo and other supplies up to the troops that were fighting on hill 303 Uh, and when you look at that thing and you know every single time that pack moved up and down the mountain it had about 50 pounds worth of supplies on it some hard dudes Mm. uh, carrying those packs. And once you make that trek up to the top of Hill 303, it kind of puts things in perspective. The fact that you can go and touch history. Uh, When you're doing that hike, you can see remnants of fighting positions still in existence. It's it's a great place. Yeah, it's it's a long ways away from going to like your typical base museum or something like that. Oh, like, yeah. like you said, you are, you feel like you're part of history. And yeah, if you haven't, um, I've, I've done the walk, my, the hike myself. If you haven't done that yet, you know, it's, it's memorable. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to touch on, sir? Well, so, you know, I, I got to give the sales pitch for, for going to be an OC, even if it's not at the national training center, but if you're a logistician or a sustainment, uh, person. I really think that the National Training Center is the the place that you want to be. That's the Super Bowl, in my mind, of all the CTCs. Uh, And like I said, there's nowhere you can go to be more relevant to the Army. And what you're going to learn as you come away from that is unbelievable. You think you know your job now, but after going through 20 rotations or more and watching a brigade combat team go through that learning, uh, and you're really a partner with them in that process. Uh, you know, I, I know more about maneuver doctrine than I did as I came out of three years in a brigade combat team. Uh, I, I am way more confident in that. i I know a lot more about, you know, a lot of logisticians like myself, they'll admit they don't know much about medical, like that's their blind spot. I feel like I know tactical uh, care really well because mm-hmm. I've, I've coached it. I've watched units do it. I've seen what su- successful units do, and I've seen what the, most, the least successful ones do, and I know how we can to improve that. Uh, so I, I encourage everybody to take that opportunity to go. Um, and the, the other big takeaway that I had there was uh, kind of operationalizing the garrison setting. Hmm. That was one of the things that I, I didn't really understand before being assigned there. But if you look at everything that you're doing within the garrison as an operation and you apply as many tactical processes and procedures to that, you're going to really soak every training opportunity that you can. Uh, you know, even if it's just a mission to go down to the SSA and pick up some parts, that's a mission. 
So all of the things that have to be done to make that happen, uh, checking in on the radio with your you know, staff duty as if it were a, the battle desk at your battalion, uh, taking advantage of that and operationalizing everything. That's really what's going to be most successful. Um, but I, I just had to give that sales pitch there. Sure. Well, I appreciate you coming on, sir. Um, a lot of good information here. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast as well. Yeah, we're hoping everyone yeah. gets as much out of it as you have. But uh, yeah, again, thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Cole from MSCK for joining us. And uh, we'll get with you. Ne- we'll be back next time here on the Every Soldier Counts podcast. Mm-hmm.